And again, we ought to be reading this responsibly. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be guilty. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked. For you, O Lord, are my hope. Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. I have been a portent to many. My mouth is filled with your praise. Do not cast me off. Cast me off in the time of old age. For my enemies speak concerning me. Pursue and seize him. O God, be not far from me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. But I will hope continually. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens. You have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. You will increase my greatness. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O oh my God. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness, help, your righteous help all day long. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning. It is now, and will be forever. Amen. Not long ago, um, I was catching up with some reading of books that I'd purchased in the past and kind of dumped them on my Kindle and haven't quite got around to reading them all yet. Uh, but I remember a phrase in a Max Lucado book, and he's a well-known Christian author. And it was such a, a great phrase in this book that I found myself thinking about it quite often ever since. And I have to confess that I have not yet read the entire book. But this one single phrase kind of helped me get a handle on what I'm supposed to be doing in my life and in my time and in my conversations and my activities every day. And it really wasn't so much what he wrote, it was actually the title of a chapter. Uh, the book is called Cure for the Common Life. Now, I don't know whether you figure you kind of live a common life, but if you 
want to find a cure for that, you can read his book. But one of the chapter titles states, quote, use your uniqueness to make a big deal out of God every day of your life. Now, I love that little phrase, make a big deal about God. Now, I sure if we started all up here with Bob and worked all the way way to the back, we could probably ask this question. What do you make a big deal out of all the time? I mean, has anybody ever told you recently, I'm coming, you're just making a big deal over that. Now, each and every day, we write our own headlines, uh, our own top stories of the day. My question is, what's it going to be in your life? What's the big deal in your life? What are you going to make a big deal about? Now, for some people, work is their big deal. Work is everything. Uh, now, clearly, you have to devote yourself to your job. And that's for sure, if you, particularly if you want to keep it. But for some people, their job is an outright, absolute obsession. Their life revolves around work, around getting ahead, getting the next promotion, getting the next raise, making more money. That's their big deal. For others, and I'll have to confess that for a long time in my life, my wife would probably say, even to this day, it's all about sports. All you want to do is watch it and talk about it and read it and then watch it some more. I mean, I've watched part of the Olympics. I try to catch up with my Texas Rangers. I've been watching the Little League World Series, and I can't wait for women's volleyball to start at College of the Ozarks this coming Tuesday. I mean, that's kind of my big deal at times. For other people, it's politics, and we won't go there. For some people, their big deal is sex. For others, it's music or movies or uh, news. And you know, this kind of goes on and on. You, you can spend just a few minutes with somebody, and I would guarantee you that within the first four, five, ten minutes you talk to them, you'll find out what their big deal is. Now, I'm going to mention a, a baseball manager that some of you that are a little bit older may have heard of. His name is Connie Mack. Connie Mack uh, was a baseball a manager in the Major League Baseball for 50 years, five zero years. In 1950, he retired from managing a baseball team at age 87. He was the winningest manager in all of baseball history. In the following year, he was being interviewed, and he made this comment, quote, no matter what I talk about, I always get back to baseball. I mean, he was so obsessed with that sport, he made a big deal out of it each and every day. However, even more important than making a big deal out of something like baseball and even making a big deal out of whatever ministry you happen to be involved in in church, or even sometimes making a big deal out of your church, we need to learn to make a big deal out of God. In our psalm, in Psalm 70, verse 4, it says, David said, let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. In other words, make God seem to be even bigger. Make him a really big deal. Now, I don't know if you know exactly what he was saying, but he's saying the same thing Max Locato was saying. To magnify God means to make a big deal out of him. Now, the question is, how do we go about doing that? Bigger signs, bigger churches, bigger pastors, bigger Bibles. What are we going to do? Make a big deal. Well, there's another uh, kind of a famous pastor today, if you follow anything that's going on with churches that are really growing. Uh, uh, But his name is Craig Groeschel. And Craig is the pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma City. And if some of you actually got UVerse on your uh, iPhone or whatever, Craig Rochelle and his church is responsible for UVerse. They've now got it into over 3,000 languages, usually 3,000 different languages or whatever, and read that. 
he wrote a book a year or so ago called The Christian Atheist. The Christian Atheist. And that's kind of a weird title for a book. And in the book, he admits that even after having been very, quote, successful in his ministry for many years, he came to the point that he had to finally admit that while he believed in God, he was always living as if God did not exist. Now, he wasn't talking about being involved in some immoral behavior, uh, but uh, uh, that wasn't the problem. He was just talking about how his style of leadership as a pastor totally ignored God. He said he would go through the entire day without ever acknowledging God's presence, not even to start the morning by saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He said he didn't pray about anything. He just strategized. He wrote vision and mission statements. He worked as hard as he could. And of course, hard work and good strategy are both good things. But he did this without ever including God in the process. And as a result, he tended to walk by sight and not by faith. He put himself, put his trust in what? He put his trust in himself and not in God. And after some pretty serious struggles that he went through about three or four years ago, he came to realize that he was, regardless of what he claimed to believe, a practical atheist. Now, what is a practical atheist? Well, it's a person who lives each day as if there is no God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand like how many of those are here this morning. But Craig was just being honest about something that many of us actually do. We exist day after day after day without making any meaningful connection with Jesus. And maybe even apart from just being in church, we deal with our problems on our own. We talk about sports and religion and politics. We watch television. We spend hours on Facebook or Instagram. And it's just like God does not exist at all for us. And that's the exact opposite of what he wants for you and for me. Now, friends, if the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us that God wants to be present in our lives. He wants to be there day in, day out, throughout the all through the hours of the day. I mean, not just, you know, good morning, Lord. Now let's move on. He wants to be a big deal in your life. Uh, he wants to make the headlines of your life every single day. And so when David said, let God be magnified, that's what he was talking about. So my big question for the day is this. How do we put this into practice in our daily lives? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, an assumption that as we gather here this morning that I'm not talking to a bunch of Christian atheists, although some of us from time to time may live that way. But we're going to talk about those who have been redeemed by God, who through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the word of the sacrament, have been brought into his family, and now who rejoice in being called believers, people who have been justified by grace through faith. How do we then live? How do we make God a big deal? I can remember a long time ago when I was uh, principal of a grade school in Indiana early on in my teaching. The last day of the year, as kids were cleaning out their desks, having to step out of my office, I looked down the long hallway, and there was a young boy. His name was Chucky. And Chucky was taking books out of his classroom, and there was a big waste paper basket in the middle, and he was pretending he was some basketball player because he'd swing around, he'd run up, and he'd slam dunk those books into the trash can. 
And I thought, what on earth are you doing? I saw him take a workbook of some kind, and I saw him tear it in half, and he threw it into the trash can with great flourish. So I got a little bit closer. I thought, my gosh, he's got a hymnal in his hand, which he cried apart, and he slammed that sucker into the can. And then he had his catechism, and he was reaching for his Bible, and I said, Chucky, stop. What on earth are you doing? He said, I'm getting rid of everything I don't need anymore. I'm confirmed. I'm out of eighth grade. I'm done. I have no idea what happened to Chucky after that. I'm not going to tell you what happened to him that day. (laughs) But he figured he'd put in his time making a big deal about God, and now he was done. Now, what's it going to take for us to move from practical atheists to having a dynamic, vibrant walk with Jesus day after day after day where we experience his presence and his power in our lives? Now, we're going to look at a few verses here from the psalm. And the first thing I'm going to tell you, and I've got a rough outline on your message so you know how long I'm going to still talk today. But my first point is this. Put him in the middle of your problems. Anybody have any problems lately? One of you. Okay, one guy. You all have Come around here and pray for her after a while. She's the only one who raised her hand. She's the only one at Raider with a problem. Wow. Now, there are some people who only call on the Lord whenever things go wrong. But there's something else I've noticed, and it's kind of the opposite tendency. It's just as prevalent, if not more so. And it's that most people kind of have this feeling in the back of their minds, and sometimes I even fall into this group myself, is that when trouble comes my way or trouble comes our way, it must be because God is kind of on vacation. He's spending two weeks in Branson or something, and he's kind of left us on our own to take care of ourselves. Now, I've been a Christian long enough, and I've been in the ministry long enough to know that's not the truth, not at all. But knowing it isn't true doesn't prevent me from acting that way sometimes. It doesn't prevent me from acting as if that's actually true, that God either doesn't care or whatever. The real truth is that when we go through hard time, or hard times, I might say, that's when we need to concentrate and make God a bigger deal than ever. David says, let God be magnified. In verse 5, he says, and yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. And I hope you see the connection there between those verses. He said, let those who love your salvation say, continue, let God be magnified. And in the very next breath, I am poor and needy. I need your help fast. I need it yesterday. And see, David understood that when the going gets tough, you've probably heard this before, Vince Lombardi, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I'm going to change that a little bit because a lot of Lutherans say that when the going gets tough, bail out. No, when the going gets tough, The tough get going by calling on God, by making God a big deal. That's why he wrote in Psalm 46.1, you know, the great Reformation Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, our ever present help in trouble. And I want you to see that in, in this psalm today, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depth of the earth. You will again bring me up. Now, there are a lot of interesting cliches that we toss out. In fact, I saw something the other day on the Internet. Uh, Twelve Bible passages that aren't in in the Bible. (laughs) For example, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. I think Benjamin Franklin might have said that one. Uh, But I'm going to share another cliche. This is not in the Bible, but it sounds like it could be, and it's this. Pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. That's how you make a big deal out of God. Pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. 
And the reason why this phrase has been used so much is because it delivers really a pretty vital message when you stop and think about it. When you're going through difficult times, this is the time to focus on God more than ever, to make a bigger deal out of God than ever. Put God in the middle of your problems. That means you don't magnify your problems. You don't make a big deal out of your problems. Uh, You don't focus on your problems. You, You focus on God's ability to get you through your problems. And David even says, my enemies speak against me. They say God has forsaken him. But as for me, I will always have hope. So I'd encourage you to get your eyes off the problem. And instead, put them on God's ability to overcome that problem and see a difference in your life. There's an old song. I suppose we could have sung this one today. It's probably not in a hymnal, but it's a good song anyway. Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know that song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will become strangely dim. Look at Jesus, and all the nonsense disappears. So put him in the middle of your problems. That's how you make a big deal. Here's the second thing. Put him in the middle of your conversations. Your conversations. Uh, elsewhere in the psalm, in verses 15, 16, 18, 24, it says, My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. I will come to proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. Now let me ask you this question. What subject do you turn to again and again? In other, more importantly, what is the tone of your conversation that you return to again and again? Now, I, I know some people, won't mention any names, might even be here at Emmanuel, who can't stop talking about how bad things are in this world today. I mean, they just, their gears are grinding all day about politics and this politician and that politician were going to hell in a handbasket. No, woe is me. You know, how can you choose between two evils? Evil is still evil. And that's all they can talk about all day long. I know some people cannot finish a sentence without a certain amount of sarcasm in their voice. I know some people can't make an observation about anything without criticizing it at the same time. I mean, the tone of their conversation always seems to steer toward one direction. They, they speak negatively, sarcastically, critically, and the more negative and more sarcastic and the more critical they become. So your conversation, how you say things and what you talk about, begins to shape your character. That's why David says, I'm going to speak, if I'm going to speak, I will speak of your righteousness. I will speak of your salvation. I will speak of your mighty acts. I will speak of your power. Now, what do these things all have in common that David says he's going to pray about, talk about? Well, they're positive and they're uplifting. They're empowering. And most importantly, they're God-centered. I don't know about you, but you t- try this. Just test me in this one. It's impossible to talk about God's power and continue to wallow in defeat. I don't think that's possible. It's impossible to talk about the salvation that is yours from God through Jesus Christ and continue to criticize everyone around you. I think it's impossible to talk about God's righteousness and continue to nurture a sarcastic, condescending, better-than-thou attitude towards other people. Now, I alluded to this a little bit in Bible class this morning, but some people say that non-believers, I think most of us probably know at least one non-believer, 
Maybe they live in the same house with you, I don't know, across the road from you, down the street. But many people say that non-believers are very uncomfortable when we talk about God. But I don't believe that at all. And the reason I say I don't believe that at all is because I have never really met anybody who was somehow put off uh, about how God came through for me in some time of need. Now, they may not believe it, they may not agree with it, but they certainly aren't offended by it. But you know how to offend an unbeliever? In fact, I'll give you a lesson this morning. Would you like to offend an unbeliever today? You with me with this one? I hope not. I'm going to tell you how to offend an unbeliever today. It's not when you tell them how good God is, but if you want to offend them, you need to tell them how bad they are. That's how to offend an unbeliever. See, that's not your job. That's not your job to go around telling everybody else how bad they are. You evil, wicked, bad, nasty sinner. Or, yeah, you're going to fry in hell someday. Uh, churches put up signs that say, was it drop and roll won't work in hell. I mean, what kind of a message is that to put on your signboard? It's like, you poor suckers, you're not in church this morning. Might as well get out your asbestos underwear. You know where you're headed. Wow. But, friends, that's the Holy Spirit's job to convict somebody of their sin. He came to convict the entire world of their sin. It's our job just to proclaim the goodness and the power and the faithfulness of God. We are to magnify what? God, not sin. We are not here to magnify the devil and all of his works. Uh, We are not here to magnify the sickness or magnify bad habits or magnify the enemy or magnify anything that's wrong in this world. It's our job to magnify the Lord, to make a big deal about God. And that means when you talk about it, bring him up in the conversation. Tell other people how wonderful he is. Particularly if you think he is. And I do. Here's the third thing, and that's just to make him a target of your praise. This seems like the most obvious one to a Christ follower. David said, I will ever praise you. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. I will praise you more and more. Now, this is going to be really simple, but but the, the best way... The first way we can give praise is what? Simply say it. God, I praise you. I exalt you. I lift you up. I magnify your name. God, you are so good. God, you are holy. God, you are so righteous. God, you are so merciful. God, you are so loving. God, you are so kind. That's how you begin. You just say it. And he'd make a point of saying that continually through the day. I will have to tell you this last week when I got a note from people down at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola, that because of the flooding and because they took in so many prisoners from other flooded parish jails, that they had to cancel our week of teaching. For a moment, I thought to myself, and I won't tell you exactly what I said, but I thought, oh, no, rats. And I thought, I've been working on this stuff, and I know my teaching partner has been working on this stuff, and we've ordered all the materials, and she's already paid for some of the materials, and We've collected all the money for the Bibles, and the Bibles are already down in prison. And and I thought, hold it. That's really stupid for me to think this way. And then the next thought I had was during Hurricane Katrina, when so many people were displaced in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, and again, the parish jails flood. They were flooding in Baton Rouge. 
Where did they take those prisoners? They brought them out to Angola. Now understand, Angola is 18,000 acres, 6,200 guys serving a sentence of 88 plus years. But they were brought into a place that's probably got as many as 2,000 born-again believers. And I don't know how many pastors, inmate pastors we have working there, but they rejoiced. They rejoiced in the fact that God brought these people from all over. Because a lot of people came in with a lot of hurts, like not knowing where their families were, not knowing whether their families were alive yet, wondering what's going to happen, worried that they got sent to the worst place in the world, the place that used to be called the Alcatraz of the South. And yet they ran into all of these people who loved them and made a big deal about God. There were conversions in that prison. There were baptisms in that prison. There were people who left that prison to go back and finish their time in jail, but who took Christ with them to that place. And so I could say, that's okay. And I wrote a note to one of my good inmate friends down the other day, Hayward. I said, I'm really sorry we're not able to come, but I pray that you guys make the best of it and do what you did during Katrina. And I got a note back from the other day. He said, Doc, we're ready. We can't wait to meet some of these guys on the walk and talk to them. See, another way we can praise is through music. So I'll praise you with the heart for your faithfulness. I will praise you with the lyre. Now, a lot of people say, you know, you only praise with an organ, but I didn't see Moses dragging an organ and a long cord through the desert. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a harp and a lyre. And my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise. Now, a lot of people, the way to get into the habit of praise is to listen to praise and worship music. Now, I, I'm not legalistic about music. I mean, I actually love all kinds of music. Uh, I love country and western music in the last couple of years because we've got uh, kind of an adopted grandkids that are involved in bluegrass music. We love bluegrass music. Uh, I love rock music. I mean, my, my room up in heaven is going to have a saxophone, guitars, and drums. I don't care I don't know what your room has. Maybe you'll be in the Lutheran room where they have no windows so they don't see that other people actually made it to heaven. Uh, but I make it a point every day to listen uh, to praise and worship music, kind of in a devotional setting. And that means I put, on, I put on music I like. And sometimes I just have it playing in the background on my laptop as I'm working. Other times, and I make it a point as often as possible, is to hunt up the YouTube video. Uh, for example, I watched an editor of Big Daddy Weave when he was over in Kenya ministering to people. And the song was playing in the back, but they had the words on the screen. And I know the song, and so I was kind of looking at the pictures, and I was singing those words of praise as well. Now, there's a couple of caveats I've tossed in here. First of all, you don't want to be more focused on the music than what the music is all about. And that's kind of a problem with some of our music today. It's more about how we feel than it is about God. See, the purpose of listening to praise and worship music is not to entertain us, but to enter into that spirit of praise and worship to make big about God. And the other thing is you don't need to do this with the sole objective of feeling good. A lot of people are critical, for example, of contemporary worship because yeah, it's just a feel-good thing. I don't know. Since when was it wrong to feel good about God? <laughs> I don't know. I've never quite understood that. Uh, but that's not really the point. It does feel good to be in the presence of God. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But that's not the starting point. We praise God because he's worthy to be praised. Uh, giving him the praise he deserves gets our minds off of ourselves and our petty little problems and on to the one who really matters, the Holy One of Israel. 
So here's the paradox. The more you praise God, the clearer your perspective and the better you feel. So one of the ways you make a big deal about God is to develop the daily habit of giving him praise. It just turns your life around. You know, we say, with the Lord, begin thy task. I hope you all have some form of a morning devotional of some kind. It's a good way to start off. To listen to a little praise and worship music. And if your praise and worship music is uh, listening to a mighty fortress is our God and singing that, God bless you. Uh, but if you're going to listen to Crowder or something that I like to listen to, God bless you too. Uh, that's why David said in Psalm 70, let those who love your salvation say continue. Let God be magnified. And in the very next verse, he says again, I'm poor, I'm needy, I need help, and I need it fast. So if you want to make a big deal out of God in your life, start where it's toughest. Put him in the middle of your problems. Ask him to demonstrate his power in whatever situation you find yourself in these days. Ask him to give you strength and wisdom for every decision that you have to make. Trust him for results and trust him to be ever-present help in time of need. I thought about one other word in, in, the, in David's psalm. He used the word sovereign. And I know my wife and I have had this conversation periodically. It's kind of like, what if so-and-so gets elected? What if so-and-so gets elected? I said, my response is the same thing when they elected the president the last time and the time before and whatever. God is still on his throne. God is still sovereign. That puts God back where he's at. You magnify that. If you want to make a big deal out of your life, you make him the center of your conversations. You find ways to talk about the goodness of God. You develop a habit of giving him the praise that he deserves. Now, there's a key phrase in this psalm that I haven't got to yet, and I think I put the verse on your, on your worship poll. Three little words all day long. It says, my mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. I guess I'd summarize by saying, if you want to make a big deal about God, keep him present in your life all day long. Every problem and situation all day long, turn it over in prayer. Seek to glorify him in every conversation, showering him with words of song and praise throughout that day. The result is, you begin to learn to live in what I would call the sweet spot of life. You will be blessed and you will be a blessing to other people. You will experience God's power in your life. You'll help other people make that same connection. And you will pass the day regardless of the struggles, regardless of the difficulties that come your way, knowing that he is with you and that he is pleased. He's pleased to be magnified in your life. Make a big deal about God, friends. May God enable all of us to do that by the power of his spirit working within us. In Jesus' name, amen.